The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week, joining us for episode 328. And boy, is it going to be a good one. Let's go ahead and bring out our co-host. Let's just get things started right away. Zach Sloan, how you doing, Zach? Ryan, what's up, my man? 328. How many years is that? 328. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, divide it by 52 weeks. We, we The amount of time we've been on is what we like to call entirely too long. That's, Dude, I'm, I'm a musician. I only count four. <laughs> don't, don't make me divide <laughs> by 12 or 52 or whatever. Man, it is so good to see you. We got such a fun show this week. I know as a musician, Zach, and also as an educator, so I know you have that social heart about you. You're really going to like our guest this week. We're going to be joined later in the show by Ken Newman. He is a musician and a magician, by the way. I think I think if we wanted to keep, if you're keeping score at home, that is our first ever magician on Break the Business, almost positive. I actually see him in the green room, virtual green room right now, doing card tricks. Um, but in addition to being a musician and a magician, he's also a social entrepreneur. He is the founder of the Bay Area Charity, Blanket the Homeless, uses music to... Uh, uh, help the unhoused population in the Bay Area. Excited to talk to him all about that. Lots to like about this guy. We were talking to him before the show, Zach. He was putting you in a good mood. He's a great dude, man. I mean, the guy is, was cracking me up, and also he's doing good stuff, good things out there. I don't want to, uh, I don't want to spoil it, but he, he's a, he's a, he's a good cat. Yeah, this is a fun one. I, I got to tell you, man, we got a lot. The we're break the business. We're on something of a guest heater for the next few weeks. Okay. Like starting with Ken Newman and going forward, we got some super cool guests. Uh, Ruby Greenberg's coming up next week. Terrific Colorado based indie folk artist, right from your neck of the woods. Two weeks from now. Are, are you familiar with the musician, Robert Randolph, the pedal steel guitar player and of the Robert family Randolph? band and the, am yes. I not, why am I not co-hosting that episode? <laughs> you drew the, the short straw, man. Did I, did I offend you, Ryan? What did I do wrong? <laughs> Dude, you are welcome to crash. Yes, in two weeks, we will have Robert Randolph from Robert Randolph Robert Randolph and the Family Band joining us. Uh, and just so many more guests after that. It's, the next few weeks are going to be great, people. Don't go And we're anywhere. on Twitch, so this is living forever. And I'm going to screen, I'm going to sound clip that and be like, you said I could show up, man. <laughs> I have an invitation. Uh, that's going to be a, a fantastic one. Yeah, so as you can see, like, I got a smile on my face because the future of Break the Business looks quite bright, as is the present of Break the Business, because uh, we actually have a listener question, Zach, that I wanted to ask you about because you're particularly well positioned to answer it. But before we talk about this, before I give you that listener question, uh, something tickled me in the news as a copyright lawyer. And while it doesn't particularly have to do with empowering indie creators, although it kind of does because the person making this is something of an indie creator, I had to talk about this because this just appeals to me as a copyright lawyer. All right. Don't, don't do it, man. 
I know where this, this is, is going, and I'm terrified. You are? Yeah. I mean, because I've only been like talking about this incessantly on Twitter. I'm obsessed with it. Let me begin at the beginning, Zach Sloan. I'm closing my eyes. In 1787, <laughs> our founding fathers... Yeah, I'm, I'm taking it all the way back. Our founding fathers wrote this little document. You might have heard of it. Deep cut, known as the Constitution. And within that magnificent document was something an equally magnificent known as the copyright clause and the copyright clause gives Congress the power to enact copyright law. And it has three words in that clause, which are so important to this present conversation. It has the phrase for limited times, which means that Congress when making copyright law can't let that copyright last forever. No matter what laws that Congress makes with respect to copyright, eventually those copyrights have to fall into the public domain, which means all the works of art that people create, eventually those works belong to all of us. And all of us can do whatever we want with those copyrighted works. Case in point, we smash cut to 2022 on January 1st when beloved children's bear, Winnie the Pooh, found his fluffy self into the public domain this year. And I find out this past week that a filmmaker has already taken advantage of this and has given us, Lauren, can you go ahead and put the picture up on the screen here for us? An upcoming film known as Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. It's what the founding fathers would have wanted. Zach, for the radio audience, can you describe the pictures of Winnie the Pooh and Piglet that you see before you? Because it's not the Winnie and Piglet that you might be accustomed to. In a word, no. Well, I wouldn't do that to your <laughs> listeners. Uh, that's not fair. Um, I think the best description actually was uh, when we first got on looking at this. It's it's like a a hellscape version of Bebop and Rocksteady from the original Ninja Turtles. Um, yeah. Winnie the Pooh looks more like um, a cross between the the lovely cartoon character we know and Mike Myers from Halloween the movie. Uh, very just terrifying. The fact that that's Piglet really disturbs me um they piglet gave piglet tusks <laughs> has tusks and as near as i can tell is about to eat a child yes That's what i can tell i mean we don't know much about this movie yet because they haven't there's no trailer all we have are some news reports but what we do know is that this movie is going to be a slasher horror film and i'll just quote from an article here from digital spy that provides some of the synopsis okay at the start of the film, Christopher Robin as a child looks after the animal-human hybrids Pooh, Piglet, and Eeyore. Yet, as he grows up, he neglects them and abandons them, leaving them to grow into feral beings. As the years gone on, they've struggled to survive, getting to the point where it was so dire and there was no food in the forest for Pooh and Piglet, they make the tough decision to kill and eat Eeyore. Basically, this is a slasher <laughs> film. Pooh and Piglet be go on a murder spree because Christopher Robin neglects them. This is what the founding fathers wanted, Zach Sloan. This is why they added those three precious words for limited times into the copyright clause so we could get the scariest freaking version of Pooh and Piglet that I have ever seen. Okay, and for our audience who are just listening, the ticker that's running is God bless the public domain. I don't think God has blessed anything here. This is ridiculous. Um, okay, but all, all jokes aside, like, 
I get it. Like there is a reason for public domain. Um, you know, El- Elvis's stuff is coming up pretty soon, right? Um, is it coming up soon? I forget. Oh, but Elvis! Like, now Elvis is no. still. I mean, well, it's just what seventy years plus the life, right? So. Well, actually, well, <laughs> now, now yeah, help me out, Ryan. Here. Help me. So, I, this is your expertise. The, the the current copyright duration is life of the author plus 70 years. Okay. Um, but that's not the duration. That only applies to post-1976 copyrighted works. Uh, what currently applies for the pre-76 works is I think it's a copyright term of, I want to say, 95 years. Basically, the stuff that was made in like 1925 or 26 or 27, something like that. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff that's coming into the public domain now. So a uh, big one that's uh, exciting a lot of public domain nuts like me. January 1st, 2024, the original Mickey Mouse, Steamboat Willie, is going to end up in the public domain. And given what this guy did to Winnie the Pooh, I can only imagine what he's going to do to Mickey. <laughs> but Oh my God, why? Now, now this is actually important that because we're laughing about this as well we should because it's easier than being afraid. We have to laugh to keep ourselves from screaming because those are really frightening pictures of Pooh and Piglet. It does there is something there is an important consideration with public domain that I think this filmmaker has to be careful of because even though the original Winnie the Pooh story and thus the original Winnie the Pooh fictional character is going into the public domain. That is all that's going into the public domain. So that original 1926 Winnie the Pooh that we know, or, or rather is a, you know looks very different than the Winnie the Pooh that maybe you remember from your childhood. The gold bear with the red shirt uh, digging through the uh, honey thing that spells H-U-N-N-Y. That's a more modern version of the bear that has not gone into the public domain yet. Similarly with Mickey Mouse, the Mickey Mouse that you and I know with the white gloves and he's kind of, you know, he's, he's a little chunky and he's got, he's wearing the pants and everything looks very different from the Mickey mouse. That's going to be going into the public domain from the steamboat Willie cartoon in the 1920s. And so what people need to remember, if you're, if you are waiting for a certain beloved children's character to go into the public domain, so you can make a horrifying slasher flick out of them, make sure that the character that you are appropriating is the original version that's going into the public domain and not the more modern one that might still very much be under copyright. So we could potentially get a racist Mickey Mouse slasher movie, but not a modern Mickey Mouse. That's right. The one that looks like he's straight out of a minstrel show is going into the public domain, but the the more PC version is... uh... Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I mean, another great example of this is uh, Sherlock Holmes. So the very first Sherlock Holmes book, A Study in Scarlet, I believe is in the public domain now, but there are some later Sherlocks that I think are still under copyright, and thus you cannot use those stories until they fall into the public domain. But the original Sherlock Holmes character, as long as you don't use any copyright-protected parts of that character, are still are still okay. I might have some of that wrong because I'm not a Sherlock Holmes expert, but I think that's right. But... But you do. But if if you are if you are building your art off of appropriating the public domain, which is a perfectly great way to do things. I mean, everything Disney yeah. built its freaking empire on raiding the public domain, like Cinderella, Little Mermaid. Like they they built an empire raiding the public domain. So there's no shame in you doing it when their stuff starts to go into the public domain. But just make sure you protect yourself and you are using the original work and have a lawyer consult with you every step of the way because this stuff can get a little tricky. Yeah, I'm a lawyer, and I just got some of that stuff wrong. So uh, 
yeah talk talk to a, <laughs> talk to an attorney for all of all of these things man like that it's that, this stuff is really really tricky and really fascinating for us law nerds um i still kind of resent this god bless the public no- domain ticker but it's there and uh <laughs> here we are just because oh, I thank know, you producer <laughs> lauren because i know zach wants to see it again producer lauren can you get one more picture of that of Pooh and piglet for us just wow. there it is yeah all right what did I do to you? I don't get to it hang out with Robert Randolph, and I got to look at this twice. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So if you're keeping score at home, Zach doesn't get to hang out with Robert Randolph, but does get to watch Creepy Poo and Piglet. I think that's a lateral move. I think I've wronged you somehow, and I don't know what well, I did. I think we need a palate cleanser. I think we need. Let's all let's all take a deep breath. I close my eyes, Zach, and I still see that image of the two of them. All right. Um, before we bring in our guest, Ken Newman, I do want to bring a listener question uh, to the show's attention. This is a listener question that I'm in no position to answer. Sometimes the listener questions come in, they have something to do with the law, or they're at least law adjacent, and I feel like I have something to say on it. This one, I am lost, and I am calling in a consult from my buddy Zach Sloan here, who I think is going to have some insight. Zach, a listener writes in and asks, I think I have the text here. I want to start producing my own music. How do I learn? Can I learn on YouTube? What software should I buy? I'll say this, Zach. I've been getting a lot more versions of this question in addition to this email from just creators generally. With the pandemic, people are at home more. They're not in studios. They and Or you know, with the emergence of platforms like SoundCloud or TikTok that value more like creating things quickly, they don't want to have to go to a high-priced studio to make stuff. So even if they don't want to, say, make their own full-length, perfectly mixed and mastered album, they do want to have basic producing skills so they can put out, you know, intermediate content before they do their big album. I don't know remotely how to produce records, but I know you are a music producer. You produce music for yourself and for others. And so if what advice would you give to somebody who's like, I'm starting at zero, I need to learn how to produce records. What do you recommend? So there were two, two kind of pieces to that question that jumped out at me. First one was, what software do I buy? The answer is, to start, none. Because really? there are, yeah, there are these, which ultimately the pro, the software you work through is called the DAW, a digital audio workstation. Um, and you'll hear people talk about Pro Tools. Pro Tools is a DAW. Um, what is that fuzzy thing? Okay. Anyway, I, did, did my mic freak out? <laughs> no, you're good, man. Okay. Uh, Ken... Ken Newman is like trying to distract us in the green room here. He's doing car tricks. He's like pointing boom mics at us. We'll I get to it. you, Ken. We're excited to have you in the next segment. What the heck is that? Anyway, sorry. So, you were talking uh, about digital audio workstations. You can buy very expensive. Pro Tools is very nice. The thing to, to remember about all DAWs is that they all do the same thing. They all take sound and recordings and put it in a format you can manipulate. Pro Tools does not sound better. I don't care what anybody says. It does not sound better than any other DAW that is doing the same type of waveform work. So as long as you're working with high-quality input, you're going to be fine. If you have a Mac, just use GarageBand to get started. It's free. It does all the basic stuff you need. And if you're trying to do stuff for TikTok, um, Instagram, things like that, that's probably all you really need. I myself, you, I've paid for a product called Reaper, which I love. Um, but there's logic. There's uh, there's a tons of stuff. But I would just find a free one, uh, and start with that. So the second question was, can I learn on YouTube? Yes, 
You absolutely, and you should. YouTube is a is a amazing place for this. The the person I recommend for this is actually a friend of the of the show. He was on episode one fifteen. You might want to hop back and listen to that one. His name is Graham Cochran. He oh, runs yeah. a he runs the recording revolution, which is actually how I learned to to record, mix, and master. Because he does the whole thing. He, he'll take you from recording your vocal all the way to mastering a, a record. Graham Cochran's content is fantastic. I love it. Um, I also highly recommend um, whatever digital audio workstation you work with, get on their YouTube channel because I use Reaper. Reaper's YouTube channel is amazing. It has a, a ton of great stuff you can learn from. But don't spend a whole lot of money up front. Start off cheap because that may be all you need. Um, and don't fall for the trap of like, you need the $500 microphone. No, you don't. You, a, any microphone, technology is an amazing thing. A decent microphone, I'm talking $1 to $200 is probably all you really need. Um, beyond that, it's going to depend on what, what genre this individual is up to, right? If you're doing acoustic guitar stuff, you just need one microphone, really. If you're doing, you know, techno type stuff or EDM, you may not need any. You may just need want to make sure you have a good MIDI, uh, MIDI, uh, some MIDI software and some good patches that you like to use for that. It's really genre specific, but don't spend a dime up front. Learn first, then buy what you need later. And in terms of learning, you're saying that the learning curve... Or, or the ways we learn have gotten so democratized that you don't need to go to like audio engineering school or anything like that. Like it's really just like YouTube websites, like everything you need is there. Yeah. Um, I, I went to, I had took one semester of an audio engineering class and it was cool. I'm really glad I did it. Um, but I didn't come back to making my own records until 10 years later. And I, I'm again, really glad I took that class. It was helpful, but 99% of what I use every day came from YouTube. Uh, and and also just practicing it yourself, like just know it's going to be frustrating at first. It's going to be hard, but once you make mistakes, you'll get better, and you'll get faster at it. And the more you do it, the better you get. Get your ten thousand hours in real quick if you can. <laughs> so trial and error is yeah. part of this too. Like you just you just play with things until you get a sound you like. Trial and error. Play with stuff till you get a sound you like, and like just know that. Like the biggest trap I ran into was people like, oh, you got to mic an acoustic guitar this certain way. You got to do vocals a certain way. If you want it to sound like this, you got to do it like that. And once I got into the, oh, but I don't want to sound like that. How do I do this for what I want to do? Um, because you can do anything if you really get creative and you and you are willing to put in time messing around and making mistakes. Classic example, the drums on Amy, Amy Winehouse's Rehab. You all know that iconic drum sound? Oh, yeah. That was done with one microphone in the recording studio. They put one mic on that kit, and that's what made it on the record. So don't tell me that you got to have a million things going on to get a good sound, right? Uh, wait, wait. I, I need you to pause there for a second because I did not know this because yeah. I, I would I would put the recorded drums in rehab up against anything else anything. created in that era. It Anything. is one of the best backbeats I have heard on recorded music. You're telling me they did that on a single mic? One mic, and what mattered more than anything is that drummer was awesome. Well, yeah, that right. Awesome. Like, like <laughs> you, gear is not going to replace. Like, get good with what you have because spending money is not going to make you better at it. Right? There's the cap is really your talent. So get good. Get write good songs if you're recording music. Write good songs first, and get really good at recording as you go. Um, that's my best advice is just and just do it a lot, man, and have fun with it. Record other people. That's the best way to do it. Start off doing yourself and other things, but then like quickly start working with other people so that you can just be an engineer. You'll learn a lot that way. 
as a as a fellow educator, Zach, I have to fully co-sign what you're talking about in terms of the value of YouTube as just a way to learn almost anything, not even just producing music, which is great for that. Uh, in my own personal life, just last week, all right, taking this to the legal profession, I had a, a, a trademark issue that I was trying to sort through, something with the trademark office website where if you've ever worked with the trademark office website, it is a GD nightmare. Okay? It sucks. It, is, it looks like it was built with GeoCities. It probably was. And it's just impossible to navigate. And I was trying to do a, a fairly complicated legal maneuver on it. And I you know, didn't know how to do it. I checked the, I read the entire trademark procedure manual. Nothing. I went to all my fancy law books on my shelf. Couldn't find the answer. I called the trademark office, was on hold for 300 years. I finally got somebody. They couldn't help me. I called two other trademark lawyers I know. They're like, oh, that's tricky. I don't know how to do that. Um, couldn't find it anywhere. I go to YouTube. I type it in. Sure enough, the very first video, some lawyer who's like, oh, yeah, uh, we run into this a lot of the time. Um, here's a step-by-step -step on how you do it. I got my little computer screen up here. It's super easy. I knew it. I learned how to do it in five minutes. And this was a very complicated legal maneuver. I thought, I, I thought like YouTube was my last resort. I was like, okay, I guess it'll, I guess I'll try YouTube, but there's no way it's going to be on YouTube because this is a complex legal thing. And YouTube is skateboarders falling off and, you know, hitting their face on pavement. And it turns awesome out too. that like, they also have lawyers that can explain complex trademark procedure. Yeah. And when you're setting up your recording studio at home, like, one of the things that will ultimately frustrate you, especially if you're on a PC, is getting your audio interface to work properly. And that's the thing that you connect your microphones to, to your computer, and so that it moves the microphone signal to the signal your computer can use. Just get on YouTube to see how to set that up, because that is way faster than reading the stupid manuals. The manuals don't make sense. Get on YouTube. It's YouTube is no longer my last resort. It's my starting point. Is there... You're so right about this. In fact, if I'm making my power ranking of, like, the most indecipherable things ever written. Number two is the trademark office website. Number one with a bullet is any DAW's instruction manual. They suck. They all <laughs> suck. Just, what, just like, why do they make YouTube. it so hard? I, I know. I know the answer to that is that the people who write the manuals don't aren't actually using the software. That would be my guess. Um, because you'll get into these manuals, and especially the audio interfaces. It really shouldn't be that complicated, um, but it's just they go through these steps that aren't necessary or they prepare you for things that aren't realistically going to happen. So get on YouTube and you set that stuff up. Um, that's the best way to do it. Find, in fact, I think Graham Cochran on the recordingrevolution.com has a guide on setting up a home studio, and I think he has you do it for like less than 300 bucks or something. Like, Oh, wow. It's fantastic, and I think you can do it for less than what he says uh, if you were willing to put in a little bit extra time. So it's 100% doable. Yes, use YouTube. Don't buy anything until you absolutely have to. A microphone, a decent microphone is, is your good starting spot and a good cable. Is there any other piece of equipment? Like, let's say you moved, like, 30% along in your producing journey, and you're starting to get some reps. You're starting to figure things out, and maybe you got a little bit of money on your pocket to spend. Let's say you got a $1,000 budget. Where do you think the best place to put that money is? Is hardware side, software side? You know, what would you do in that same situation? So one thing is once you get good, your initial user or your initial interface, audio interface, interface 
will usually have one or two inputs, meaning you can run one to two microphones into your computer at a time. If you want to record drums, and again, you can record drums with one microphone, it's possible. I like to do it with, with six to eight microphones when I do drums behind me. Um, you so might five to seven more than Amy Winehouse. Yeah, and really that's, a t that's just a function <laughs> of I'm not as good as that producer. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm not as good, so I throw more stuff at it. Um, upgrading that so that you can have more inputs going at once. So if you want to record, you know, pianos or drums or things like that, having more than two inputs is really, really helpful. Um, having microphones that do different things. And again, don't break the bank on this. Like I have a vocal microphone I really love, right? I also have little pencil condensers. They're, they are literally about twice the size of a tube of lip balm that I use for the overheads on drums, having mics that do specific things. A Shure SM57 is an unbreakable microphone that you will put on kick drums, or excuse me, on snare drums, on guitar cabinets, everything you can sing into them, they sound great. Uh, upgrading a few mics, but again, you don't gotta go buy a $10,000 Neumann, you just don't. I'm, the mics I'm talking about are all sub $500. Um, beyond that, I mean, if you then wanted to upgrade your DAW software to something maybe a little nicer, you could. But frankly, for most people, GarageBand's all you need. I mean, I am in awe of what GarageBand does. I think I mean, the only knock that I see on GarageBand, unless they've changed this, but because we used to record Break the Business on GarageBand back before StreamYard was a thing and everything else. And the only knock I had on GarageBand at the time was it didn't record in multi-track. Like it had multi-track, but you couldn't record multiple tracks simultaneously. Yeah. Like you had to record the vocal part. And then, you know, once that was done, you could record a guitar part, but you couldn't record them as separate tracks. Now, for most first-time producers, when you're doing basic projects, you don't need to record in multi-track. Right. But I could see how a lot of creators might eventually outgrow that. That being said, you're always hearing stories about some artist creating some amazing viral hit, and it's just on GarageBand. And not even just GarageBand. GarageBand on their phone. <laughs> Yeah. In fact, let me plug Graham Cochran one more time. He has an entire video of, I'm, I recorded, mixed, and mastered an album using just my iPhone. Or not a album, a single, excuse me. Just to prove that you could do it. Um, so, really, the, the thing I always tell myself when I'm about to spend more money is I have more technology in my laptop than the Beatles ever had. So, it's not money that is the problem. <laughs> it's talent. If I am creative, I can, I will be better. Um, and so keep that in the back of your head. Like creativity comes first, stuff comes second. That's right. You have more technology than the Beatles ever had and more drum mics than Amy Winehouse's production team had when they made the greatest drum backbeat of this millennium. Yep. Oh man, that's but really tremendous. Zach, before we go to break, you know, now that people are all impressed by your producing prowess and your musical prowess, I know you got some music projects of your own coming down the pike. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Absolutely. So I am the lead guitar player in the band Dear Marsha. Um, you can also find my solo stuff um, out and about in Spotify. But Dear Marsha is the main focus right now. We dropped a video, you know, about a week ago, and we've got a single coming out on Friday called Where You Want to Be that is a ton of fun. And if you like... If you can hear my guitar stamp on it, because I'm in that Keith Richards open G jangling thing. And so if you like a mixture of Janis Joplin, the Rolling Stones, and Willie Nelson, wear your stuff. Dear Marsha, come come check us out, dearmarsha.rocks. Oh, awesome. Very, very cool. Yeah, I love Zach's stuff, people, and I know you're going to as well. 
We're going to take the quickest of breaks. And then we got our guest, Ken Newman, joining us. Do not go anywhere. Keep checking us out here on Break the Business. Yeah. here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Carella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Our hearty thanks, as always, to the fabulous people over at Slam Radio for giving us a home on Sirius XM. You can check out Break the Business at 6 p.m. every Monday on Sirius XM 145. And while you're there, check out all the amazing stuff happening on Slam Radio. It is a cool station, really innovative, right in the heart of Miami, doing some really, really great stuff. Ryan Corelli here, joined by Zach Sloan, who was just basically teaching me how to be a producer in one segment. And that is no easy task. So we appreciate the guidance you gave us there, man. You know, it's that kind of stuff is so much fun. And if I can just reiterate creativity just be creative you'll find something cool and be and embrace being different man just just have fun with it let's keep those good times rolling let's go ahead and bring out our guest this week he is a singer songwriter magician and social entrepreneur who is the founder of blanket the homeless a bay area charity that provides supplies and support to the unhoused community he recently helped produce an album project for blanket the homeless to help raise money for its mission and released his own album earlier this year titled what am i afraid of both albums are available now, and you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting www.blanketthehomeless.org and www.kennewmanmusic.com. We are happy to welcome Ken Newman on a Break the Business. Hello, Ken. Hey, how you doing? Rocky, oh. Rocky Nine. <laughs> the death of Bullwinkle. Oh, is that's what that is? That is a that's what you were wiggling at us in the oh, green yeah. room. It's, it's 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 Rocky. It's a puppet. It's a, it's my little guy. It's my little uh, hi. I thought it was a boom mic. No, it's like a taxidermied uh, yeah, I, I, squirrel you know, he, thing. Yeah, what is that? No, 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 no. Actual raccoons were harmed in the making of this toy. Um, he's kind of cute. Eating, he's eating right now. I know it's really adorable, isn't it? He's he's really sweet. He just kind of like you could pet him. Ow! Ah! Oh no! <laughs> Sorry. 
No, I very much appreciate I just, that. I, just, I have to tell you, those were two of the most disgusting things I have ever seen. And I've seen some disgusting things on my computer screen. <laughs> I, trust me. But though, I, what, what, how, who's, I, can you, I just want to imagine all of these guys sitting around in the room throwing out concepts, right? And they're just going like, I don't, Winnie the Pooh, you know, he's got this really kind of pristine, sweet, fluffy image. Let's just, can we zombify him? No, zombies are done. What else can we do? I don't know. Get a get a get a get a warthog maybe and eviscerate him. Evisceration, that's good. Yeah, that really sells. The kids will eat it up. I mean, it speaks to the genius of the founding fathers. Is yeah, what it does. I think so. <laughs> Where does this come from? I don't. I they, just, I, I, I mourn for society. I, I don't know. I don't know what's happening anymore. I'm, I'm at a loss. The founding fathers envisioned a constitutional republic that would guarantee life, liberty, property. And, and the, the of scariest freaking movie I've ever seen. Yes, uh, just at, but uh, so you know, sounds like you're a fan of the project. You're going to be first in line to see that movie when it comes oh, out. Oh, you kidding? I, I, I've already like uh, yeah, I've already pre-ordered it on Netflix. What are you nuts? I'm like <laughs> Winnie uh, the Pooh, Pooh, uh, Blood yeah, and Honey. Winnie, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Money. That's the name of it, really. Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Money. Blood and Honey. Blood and Honey. Oh, okay, yes. great. Yeah. No, you know. Pooh Bear likes his honey or, and all that. Oh, I just, there's so, it's really, really fertile territory. There's a lot to work with. Zach, I got a feeling we're going to have fun with Ken this segment. Dude, it's going to be a good time. Good. All I can tell is, Ken, you've inspired me. My uh, wife doesn't watch TV or check the internet a whole lot. She likes to live in a bubble. Yeah. And um, I'm going to take her to the Winnie the Pooh movie and not tell her it's a slasher movie. No! Oh, wow. No! That's, that's great. Is, and is, no! is Ryan handling the divorce for you? <laughs> Just curious. There is. You know, I got to tell you, first of all, uh, before we get into like talking about me, because I'm sick of me, Zach, everything you said about YouTube is so on the money. I mean, I, you know, and GarageBand and all that stuff and not having expensive stuff. I mean, my producer has got like all the expensive toys and it is kind of amazing, which uh, YouTube is an incredible resource. I mean, I'm performing uh, a splenectomy on a friend of mine in a couple of weeks yeah. and I picked, I got it all on YouTube. I mean, I uh -huh. pretty much took some notes, you know, <laughs> practiced a couple of times with that little that little doll I was, and you know, I'm set. I'm ready to yeah, go. It's going to save him before. He doesn't have insurance. So, you know, yeah. he's all, we're set to go. Yeah. I mean, I, I've heard of people doing bypasses. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, yeah. YouTube. Yeah. Sounds the triple, like... triple bypass are kind of complicated, but I can do a single or a double right yeah. now. Yeah. We're going to film that, Ken, and put out Ken Newman <laughs> Blood and Honey coming out this yeah. fall. <laughs> Idiot with a scalpel, part That's two. That's right. Yeah, right. Now, when you're not doing horrifying, unnecessary <laughs> surgery on people, you are actually involved with a really, yeah. really laudable cause in yeah. founding Blanket the All Homeless. Right. Can you tell us a little bit about this organization and sure. the role that music plays in it? Yeah, I'll, I'll try to keep it brief. I mean, you know, I'm if you Google long-winded, I come up on page one, but I'll, I'll try to, like, kind of do the short version. Blanket the Homeless came out of... Uh, I was working... I was, in a, I was in a cover band... You know, I looked at the tip jar after the uh, after the gig, and it was like forty eight dollars in it. And it was a five person band, so do the math. You know, we we literally were not walking away with a lot of money. And these guys were engineers. You know, I have my own company. We were doing just fine financially. So, I said to them, "Look, are you okay if we just donate money to a charity?" And they said, "Fine." So I called Compass Family Services in San Francisco, and they were thrilled. And they sent one of their people to a gig, and they talked to the audience. And I would talk to the audience a little bit. It's, you've probably figured out by now. I don't have a problem talking to people and so we would we would encourage people to you know think of the homeless in a different way and blah 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 and then i did that for a number of years and then i managed to get on margaret show's radar and that's kind of a cute story but i'll spare you the details long story short she was doing a tribute to her friend robin williams who had just passed away 
And a, a mutual friend of theirs, Mike Pritchard, a great comedian, said, don't grieve Robin, be Robin. Meaning, you know, do some of the same kind of philanthropic work that Robin was so famous for. I mean, he did, you know, a comic relief with Billy Crystal and Whoopi Goldberg. He was, you know, very notable in the Bay Area for really supporting the homeless, even on a personal level. He was an incredible guy. And so she started doing this thing on the street with a piece of paper and a guitar case that said, if you have, give, if you need, take. And people wow. would throw money in. She would break it into smaller denominations and hand it out to the audience, uh, to the to people on the street, homeless people. And um, somebody told me about that. I found her on Facebook, you know, sent her a message, not knowing if she would ever call me back. She said, meet me tomorrow in front of Larkin Street Youth Services. Do you have a battery operated amp? And I said, yeah, of course, you know, and I'll meet you there. And great. So I go to Guitar Center, buy the damn amp, then, you know, uh, pick up the guitar and meet her in front of the place. Inside of 10 minutes, you're going to love this. I'm playing guitar. And I stopped to f fiddle with the amp, and I hear a voice that says, hey, can I use your amp? And I'm like, yeah, sure, what do you need? And I turn around, it's Bob Mould. Okay, Husker Du, Sugar. And yeah. so I'm like, oh, damn, yeah, sure, you can use the amp. And so next thing you know, I'm playing percussion, Bob's playing guitar. You know, uh, Roger Rocha comes along, who's, uh, he was with Four Non Blondes, with Linda Perry, and Mia Simmons, who was in an incredible punk band in the Bay Area called Frightwig. She's there, and all these other musicians. And suddenly we're this ad hoc street band performing, busking on the street, you know, with huge crowds, people dumping money into the thing, you know, people showing up with 50 pounds of pasta and all this other stuff. So we did that for about eight months, did shows all over the city on the street, raised a lot of money. They did a um, documentary film about it called Be Robin the Movie, uh, which played at a bunch of film festivals. I kept that up for a while doing my own stuff with my two man band, Berkeley Bronx, you know, using the Be Robin name. And then a friend of mine, a woman named Bronica DiCarlo said, hey, there are some people in Boston that are giving out these Mylar emergency blankets to people on the street who are freezing in Boston. You know, and Boston winters, if you know, are just absurd. You know, it's a whole different kind of cold. And she said, I want to do that in San Francisco because we were having a particularly tough winter about six years ago. And so she was trying to raise money. And I said, how much are they? I got on Amazon. They're like 50 cents a piece. So I said, great. I talked to my accountant. I said, we're going to buy a thousand of these. I gave her 500 and I took 500 and I would bring them to gigs and start throwing them out to the audience. Say, look, on your way home, instead of just blowing past some poor guy on the street and ignoring him, you know, just say, hey, I don't have any money, but take this. This will keep you warm tonight. So about a, a month or so later, I was walking around downtown. There was this young girl playing uh, ukulele, singing these incredible songs. Her story was she'd been homeless. Her music got her off the streets. I invited her to come to a gig. I paid her to perform. She told her story. People are crying their eyes out. Now suddenly the tip jar's got three, $400. A guy at the bar writes a check and matches that. And then, you know, some company is doing a matching donation thing. Suddenly organizations are getting eight, nine hundred, a thousand dollars from a little gig at a club in San Francisco. Wow. So I realized this thing's got some legs. And she says, you know, in addition to emergency blankets, People could actually use gloves, socks, hats, stuff like that. So I said, all right. I said to my accountant, okay, we're going to buy some more stuff. And $5,000 later, we had a thousand enough to fill a thousand of these plastic bags with socks, gloves, hats, condoms, hand warmers, and stuff like that. And then during COVID, of course, masks, T-shirts, cliff bars that were donated by the cliff bar company. Then there was a woman that I knew who had also been homeless, who had some graphics arts ability. And I said, hey, do me a favor. I'll pay you if you will research in San Francisco all the places to get free food, shelter, medical services, pet services, mental health, blah, blah, blah. We'll print it on waterproof paper, uh, include that, put a, you know, come up with a logo, stick it in the bag, and now we've got something to brand it. 
And uh, we've given out about 9,000 of these over the last six years. We're now part of St. Vincent de Paul Society, which is a big international nonprofit that allows us to not have to be, be a nonprofit ourselves. And then, uh, so when people donate or buy the album or whatever the donation is, it funnels through St. Vincent de Paul and uh, people get the advantage of a, of a tax deductible contribution. And uh, the, the thing about it, and real quickly, when I, the idea of this turned out to be way more than just giving somebody stuff on the street. Somebody on the street once told me that worse than the cold and worse than the hunger was the feeling that they were becoming invisible. And he actually used that word, I am becoming invisible, which really struck me. And I thought, and I knew what he meant. Somebody else had told me he did an experiment one morning. He asked 100 people, he just said to 100 people, good morning. And I said, yeah. And he said, yeah, four people said good morning back to me. I said, out of 100? He said, yeah. And he wasn't sad. He just said it. He said, yeah, that's just, yeah. And I was sad. I was crying because that's what I do pretty easily. If anybody who knows me will tell you. And, you know, I thought, Jesus, you know, what, what we need to do is not just like feed, feed them or keep them warm is acknowledge their humanity. And the thing that works with this that I didn't really expect, it wasn't part of the design, was I'll bring a hundred of these to a gig, throw them out to the audience and say, just keep them in your bag, keep them in your trunk, whatever, give them to somebody on the street and just watch what happens. And there's a story I'll tell you if we have time when somebody who was really kind of a snarky character who handed out five of these and had a had a real life-changing moment when he did it and he gave it to somebody and he saw the effect it had on them. You know, it happens to me all the time. I keep them in my trunk and I'll give it to somebody. And his experience, I'll just go to that part, was the guy looked in the bag, they're standing in the pouring rain. The guy keeps looking in the bag and saying, this is for me? This is for me? Wow. This is for me. He kept repeating it over and over again. The guy's like, yeah, man, it's for you. Yeah, yeah, it's for you. You know, and the, and the guy starts to cry. And he says, can I hug you? This is pre-COVID, so he could. And the two of them are standing in the rain hugging. And this is the same guy that was like, what's up with the blanket, the homeless packages? What are you guys doing? What is the thing? What do you, I don't get it. I don't get it. And he came back afterwards and he said, oh my God, I gave five of them away in a half a block. It's like, we don't see this, you know, because we choose not to see it. This helps us see it. So that's... That's a very, very long answer to a short question. But anyway, I, I have a hard time being concise about this stuff. Well, and there's no need to be concise about it. It's really amazing work, Ken. And it was fantastic to hear about it. And one of the things that I love about your program, among the many things I love about it, because we got to hear a lot of it in action there, yeah. was how music is the focus. Yeah. As you noted, this organization was born from you busking with musicians and yeah. you know, kind of building a cause around music. And... To me, the biggest example of the music role in Blanket the Homeless is this album that came together, the Blanket the Homeless album. Can you talk about that experience of how that project happened? Well, unfortunately, I don't have one with me, um, so there's there's no way that I can actually show the album to you or even talk about it really with any kind of detail at all. But um, yeah, that sorry. is great looking artwork. Wow, yeah, art is You're not, amazing. Yeah, it's sweet, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, it's the same guy that did. Not that I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch my own album, but I'm going to because you have to see the cover. Even if, if even if you think the music sucks, the cover is insane. But this was uh, an artist named Nemo, N-E-M-O. He did the cover, you know, with some guidance by our producer, Scott Mickelson. I'm trying to take the glare out of it. Uh, there's the, the back. But the thing that's most amazing, Scott Mickelson is a brilliant, brilliant producer. Zach, you would really love the work that he does. He's just, he's really got it dialed in. He, he made me a better songwriter, a better singer, a better everything. But he, um, 
he had just done a fundraiser for uh called after the fire it was an album um for to support people up in um uh, wine country who lost so much in one of our major california blazes and he had said to me one day we were talking about blanket the homeless he said you want to do a fundraiser for blanket the homeless we could release it on vinyl and I said, yeah. And I said, sure. And I executive produced it, which if anybody doesn't know what that means, you pay for it. That's what the executive producers do. <laughs> it's just a really, really fancy way of saying you pay for it. Um, so I, I did, you know, but the artists all donated their time, their talent. You know, we flew them to our studio in Mill Valley. Everybody except for like Fantastic Negrito, who also donated a track. But I mean, listen to the, the Stone Foxes, Tim Bloom of Mother Hips. Fantastic Negrito just won his third Grammy Award. Mickelson himself donated a beautiful track. Goodnight Texas, John Craigie, Brothers Comatose, King Dream, Whiskerman, Tobias the Owl, Marty O'Reilly, Rainbow Girls, Coffus Brothers. I have a song on there, which I'll, I'll, I guess I'll be doing later. Combrio, you know, and uh, we released it on vinyl. We uh, did a concert at uh, the Independent um, in San Francisco, a beautiful venue. And um, and all the proceeds from the album, which we still sell on the Blanket the Homeless website and from the concert, uh, support the charity. They go to buy the stuff that we put in these bags. I schedule a bunch of friends to come together. We go to St. Vincent de Paul. We get a pizza. We have an assembly line. We package up all these plastic bags and we distribute them to a number of different agencies that we work in coordination with. In addition to St. Vincent de Paul, there's the San Francisco AIDS Foundation, um, Harm Reduction Therapy, which does psychological, you know, they do work around the city. And uh, when these UPS sized trucks where they do, you know, the therapy sessions for people with PTSD, drug and alcohol issues, and they use these packages to encourage them to come into the, for the session. So they feel like, you know, they're not being trapped in a vehicle. Um, uh, homeless, homelessness Coalition, a number of churches, you know, avail themselves of these packages. Pretty much anybody who wants to reaches out to me and I tell them where they can get them. So that's kind of what we did with this so that's 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 nemo's beautiful work he cut us an incredible deal on this i encourage people to check him out because his art is just it just knocks me on my butt i can't take my eyes off of how amazing that album artwork is to me that that has like cleansed the torture that i did to my eyes in the previous segment looking at scary winnie the pooh and Pin. all right well prepare to be tortured because he also did this ah! um, holy god yeah so, so he, I mean, you know, I, I think if you were to give him the, uh, if they decide to hire him to, to art direction, you know, on Winnie the Pooh, he's going to come up with something that will take, no one will ever touch a Winnie the Pooh doll again. But I told him, you know, the title of the album is What Am I Afraid Of? It's obviously about how, you know, the marketing of fear and how, we're, you know, it's the tragedy du jour. It's what the media does to us. It's all the stuff that makes me completely insane. And this is like... This is like, where's Waldo on acid? That is nightmare fuel, Ken. Yeah. Dude. I mean, it's like, there's like skeletons, there's dead bodies, there's, you know, there's Holocaust, there's, there's money coming out of smokestacks. Now, the, the, the more gentle portion of it is the back. This is, it's dedicated to my mom, who oh. sadly passed away recently. And uh, because she was, you know, my love for vinyl has a lot to do with memories of her dancing to Air Stomp on Led Zeppelin 3 while she vacuumed the living room. This is a memory that I will carry with me the rest of my life. It's a beautiful memory. But I told him, I said, I want something that looks like somebody tattooing for a mom on an arm. Send him a picture. And he just went to town with it. And he's a, as I said, he's a, he's just a beautiful artist. He actually animated this thing that I, something I could use for, you think this gives you nightmares? You should see the 30-second animation. You will never sleep again. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's a nightmare. It's but horrible. E but. Either way, the visuals are outstanding. Zach, I can't be the only one who is, like, welcoming 
the vinyl comeback that we're seeing right now, if yes. for no other reason that like we get giant, beautiful album artwork again. Oh Dude, God, there is yes. nothing cooler than getting large art. Like I, that was my favorite part of getting a new album, right? Is like combing over the artwork and reading the liner notes and seeing that album cover that ha- has a million details in it. That's oh, the yeah. type of stuff that teenager Zach would just obsess over for hours. So I oh. applaud it, man. I love that. <laughs> No, 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 sticky fingers. I mean, the, you know, album sticky, sticky fingers. Sticky fingers, Stone dude. Had a zipper yes. on the cover for crying. Led Zeppelin. I'm not Led Zeppelin's. Uh, Jethro, Jethro Tull, thick as a brick, was a whole freaking newspaper. It was a newspaper. Yeah. You but know, I mean, I was, Zeppelin did it too. Like, all yeah. of those. Oh, Zeppelin like, had the little thing where you could spin it and it was like all the little faces coming. Yeah. Uh-huh. But that user experience of running your thumbnail down a little too fast, slicing your, your cuticle, <laughs> opening it up, right? Remember? I did that with yeah. the White Album. I got blood all over Paul McCartney's face, you know. Um, <laughs> as he would have <laughs> As what he, he wanted. Want. Yeah. No, I'm serious. Four, eight by ten. I mean, it's you know that user experience cool. thing, man. It's awesome. It's cool. I love. It. I love it's it. Good. That's why you know it's expensive as hell. It was worth it to me just to be able to have that. You know, to to, to have the vinyl and you know, if I give them all the way, I don't care. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. it, the feeling of it, and you know, the fact that people listen to it on a turntable and they hear the the sizzles and the pops. That's that's everything for me. It it's wonderful. Loving that vinyl is back and just you know back in our lives. I was taken, Ken, by something you had mentioned in your talking about the album and just about your organization when you said that every dime that comes in for Blanket the Homeless goes right out into the charitable cause that you're trying to support. And to me, that's just sort of a microcosm of the way that you approach your entire music career, because basically you support yourself with your corporate events production yeah. business, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, doing great stuff there and it's lucrative. Yeah. And that allows you to basically do all of your earnings that you've accumulated as a musician go right to charity. So oh, like yeah, that is yeah. that is like your nonprofit endeavor. In a sense, yeah. I mean, it's just, you know, like I always joke about this. I say like, you know, when I got into music, you know, once I started doing this kind of work, I said, you know, I set a goal for myself, to, you know, to just to not make money in the music industry, which was the easiest goal I have ever set for myself. <laughs> You know, it was, I mean, and it's true. It's like, you know, who makes money at this unless you're, you know, touring, you know, and you're filling up 40,000 seat arenas. So it was, you know, it's kind of a no brainer for me to just kind of go like, yeah, I'm going to take all the money that I make doing this because I am, I'm really blessed. I mean, I'm a very, very lucky guy. I managed to do a lot of things that I love doing magic and music and all this other stuff. And, you know, corporations will pay absurd amounts of money for me to do what I do. I mean, during COVID, I had to figure out what to do when I couldn't perform live. I started producing music videos for corporate events, and I've got one that's going to go live in a couple of weeks. And they paid me really, really, like, like crack my voice, really good money to do this, you know, to go into one studio and in GarageBand, interestingly enough. Produce, wow, what? You know, an eight-track thing, and you're going to love this. The guitar was tuned to Keith Richards' Open G, and that's where the hook came from. So oh, Zach, now you're, you're just after Zach's No, I'm, I'm Zach. I'm serious. <laughs> we we have there's something, Zach. I I really have a deep affection for you, and I, I just I want to talk about that off off camera if we can. But in any event, so I all these you. things came together. I you know, and I shot the video at my you know my girlfriend's restaurant and and in my living room and put the thing together and used um, I move between iMovie and Final Cut. Managed to get the thing sent it off, and they send me this big fat check, and I'm thinking, yeah, this is how I do this. I can do this stuff. I love the work. It pays well. And so this other thing that I do, because I really do love it, I could just say, all right, that money isn't mine. That's somebody else's, you know, and it's fine. I have no problem with it. I love that. Every week on this show, we bring on a musician or somebody in the entertainment industry that's talking about how 
we can allow creators to make more money as a creator. And now we have the guy on who gives all the money away from his work as a creator and is doing amazing things with music. So I, yeah, love I it. lose right. money every time I play, but I make it up in volume. There's <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite expressions. I know, all right. Me too. Here's, here's, here's the situation. All right. We got about eight and a half minutes left and I have so much. I want to cover with you. I know, I know, including have having you back. play a song for us, right, but we'll do that for sure. But All right. um, since you are the first magician we have had on Break the Business, I would be just committing podcast host malpractice to if I don't ask you if you could possibly do a trick for us on the air. No, I absolutely can't. I'm so sorry. I don't have anything I can use. <laughs> the only thing I have is, and to give you an idea, you know, I played for three and a half hours, reached into the tip jar, and there it was, you know, $40. I mean, I I, I think I think music appreciation is really is, is a dying thing, but um, I, I took the $40 and I thought, well, what am I going to do with this? If I take this two $20 bills and I just handed it to you, Ryan or Zach, you know, virtually, or actually I can mail it to you, I'd just be giving you $40. But I believe when you put anything together, the right things. I mean, a relationship, you know, uh, a professional relationship, a business relationship. When you put, you know, your heart and your mind together or your heart and your talent together, then I believe that if you think of each one of those 20s as representing one or the other of those things, that you end up with something arguably greater than the sum of the parts, right? Oh! What? Yeah. Oh. Now, this is this is another reason why I don't really worry that much about not making money as a musician, because I just have just a, a boatload of twenty dollar bills over here. And just as long as I don't get, you know, repetitive stress injury, I just I turn them into hundreds. You know, it's not a big deal. <laughs> so just, for, what? It turned, OK, what so for the podcasting and radio audience <laughs> who we have alienated for the last two minutes, but it was absolutely worth it. Ken Newman just turned two $20 bills into a $100 bill before our eyes. Right, Zach? Yeah. And then did it and right back. back again. Yeah. It's witchcraft, so, I tell you. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, you know, but that's okay. I only use my powers for good. Now, this is, <laughs> uh, real quickly, I, this is something that I did, and, and I did this. I punched, I took a card, and I punched four holes in it because I was trying to explain, I was talking to my client about, we were talking about the cloud, and it was one of the corporate things. And it's about this, like, like how the distinction between uh, virtual and actual is rapidly diminishing, you know, to the point where, I mean, like over the last two and a half years, I mean, essentially my love life was all virtual, right? I couldn't see anybody. So it was whatever you could do in the cloud, you did, right? So everything is, there is, it's a gray area now, right? It's like, what, what's real and what, what we, if you look at this card and you could see me through it, you, you know that these are actual holes. I mean, I'm it's sticking got holes in it. Right. It's got real holes in it. So with that said, it's completely impossible, for example, for me to type, uh, you know, to take this hole, you know, right over here, you know, off, right. Oh, and, and then, God. and then, and then put it like there, all right. That, that, that can't happen. And by the same token, I can't take this hole off, you know, because that it's a hole, it's a real thing, you know, and I can't put that over there, you know, or it would be all but impossible for me to take this hole down here. And without, you know, let me see if you could see that. Yeah. Without even touching it, basically move it up here. Ah! Right? That's, that can't happen. You know, and the other thing that can't happen is is you can't, like, have those four holes, which are still really holes, by the way, and I'm going to prove it because, you know, the toothpick still goes through. You know, I can't just, like, snap my fingers or move my fingers around and have them all go back to where they were. Right? You can't You're do that. You're a madman, Ken Newman! I can't do that. <laughs> all right. Oh wait a minute. God. Wait a minute. One more, even if you okay, have to cut more, me off in the more. middle of the song. All right. The tennis, this, uh, the tennis spades. All right. This is uh, uh, three of diamonds. You have to take my word for it, because uh, and this is a ten of clubs. By now, you won't take my word for damn near anything. But look, there's three cards: ten, three, ten. 
Now, this is kind of a memory test. Ryan, you'll be responsible for this one, uh, uh, this one on this side. That's the 10 of spades. Say it out loud. 10 of spades. Very good. The other one is 10 of? Zach? Clubs. Very good. And the card in the middle, three of? Diamonds. Very good. Three of diamonds is the money card because it's the different card. So just think red and two black cards. So now if it's safe to say that my hand is now on the three of diamonds, right? Yes. Confirm. Okay, good. So yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to put it in my mouth. Okay, no. The other two cards are the ten of spades and the ten of clubs, right? And we agree yeah. that that's true. Okay, mm -hmm. so we get rid of those because we don't need them anymore. This is the three of diamonds. It never went out of your sight. It's right there, right? So that is the most valuable thing in my hand, the three of diamonds, right? But I would argue convincingly I might add, that the three of diamonds is not the most valuable thing in my hand because time to suck up to the guy who produces the show. The most valuable thing in my hand is break the business. Thank you. Oh my God. So thank you very he, much. I'll he be here had all the week. three and it just, he flipped it around and it said, break the business. And exactly. for real, I'm out. I can't handle this. I can't. That's, that's that's insane. Like, All right, now now, wow. now, it's, now it's time for, now it's time to get to okay, get yes, sad we, and serious. I yes, don't know how much you, time I have left, but you, you you got about three and a half minutes, but we're gonna use every ounce of it. Do it. Uh, this song is called "We Should Do This Again" from your new album. What am I afraid of? Yeah, it's the uh, one of the tracks. It's an acoustic, uh, obviously, and it also appeared on Blanket the Homeless, and it is very much speaks to, you know, the. Uh, the how I feel about the homeless situation and stuff that I learned from knowing people and getting to meet people on the street. So here it is. He said, hey, how's your day? Make it count, mister. Please don't waste it. He held his cardboard sign and said, God will help us find our way. Said life, it can be bitter or sweet, but you get to taste it. At least you get to taste it. He said, Smile, you woke up this morning. How bad can it be? He said, It looks like you're looking for love, but you ain't looking at me. Said I once had it all and it was all gone Like someone erased it I guess someone erased it You can walk on by, you can turn away It's alright son, if you ain't got nothing to say I might be here tomorrow, we can do this again Faded dress used to be as blue as her eyes. She said, Ain't this a glorious day? Like she was surprised. She said, I just had this old song in my head. I wish I could remember. I wish I could remember. Said I once had a son, but he's gone. He sort of slipped away. He 
said I got this old picture right here Feels just like yesterday He had these big funny ears And a smile that was like Like Christmas morning He felt just like Christmas morning walk on by, you can close your eyes, you can turn away like you got something to hide, I might be here tomorrow, we can do this again, we can do this again, we should do this again. We should do this again We should do this again Ken Newman, everybody. Find out more about his work by visiting BlanketTheHomeless.org and KenNewmanMusic.com. Ken, that was a treasure, man. Thank you so much for playing that for us. Oh, thank you so much for asking. I appreciate that. It's it's interesting to have that come on the heels of all the, the insanity that I perpetrated on you guys. But thanks for that. Yeah, it was it. absolutely worth it. Uh, we are we are getting the radio signal that we need to wrap up, but yeah, I'm going to tell numbers, radio yeah. to wait because we need to get your final answer to our final question. So cl- take us out with this if you could, Ken. Oh, gosh. Do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward? For independent music creators? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Dare to f- fail. Just fail as much as you possibly can. And I, I'm going to give you one tip, uh, one very, very good tip. There's a book written by uh, Jeff Tweedy called How to Write One Song. And I've had the good fortune of getting to know Jeff. I met him in Chicago and I got to meet him and his kids and we've become, you know, kind of acquaintances. That book is one of the most inspirational and helpful books for writers, I think, of, of any type out there. It's a small book. He fills it with all kinds of improv exercises and games and ways to trick your brain into finding, you know, that creative space. And don't just sit around waiting for inspiration. You have to treat it as much as you can. And I have to learn this myself like a job. You have to say, all right, I am going to do, if I write just, you know, an interesting chord progression and four or five words that make sense, I'm starting something and just keep coming back to it and coming back to it. And don't be afraid to write, you know, there's a wonderful book called Bird by Bird by Anne Lamott. She has a whole chapter called Shitty First Drafts. Be totally okay with writing garbage and just, just as long as you keep the forward momentum going. But that book will really help. Ken, this has been an absolute pleasure. We should definitely do this again. (laughs) Uh, Feel free to come back anytime. And again, you can find out more about our guest's work by visiting BlanketTheHomeless.org and KenNewmanMusic.com. What a blast. Thank you very much for joining us, Ken. Our thanks to Zach Sloan, producer Lauren, and our thanks to all of you viewers and listeners for checking us out on Break the Business. We'll see you next week. Thanks.